You are Locked On SEC, your daily podcast on the Southeastern Conference. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's happening, everybody? Welcome into Locked On SEC. Great to have you guys along on today's show. The latest on the suspensions and fines coming down from the SEC on the Florida and Mizzou aftermath following their on-field brawl last Saturday. Why it all spells perhaps good news for the Georgia Bulldogs. And speaking of Georgia, we're going to catch up with our buddy Dan Matthews from the Chuck Oliver Show. We'll get his thoughts on the Georgia quarterback situation and the de facto SEC East title game coming up this Saturday between Georgia and Florida. Lastly, we'll hit on some of the SEC Players of the Week as well as some schedule changes for next week when it comes to TV networks for some of the SEC games. I'm Chris Gordy. Be sure to subscribe and follow Locked On SEC for free wherever you get your podcast. You'll get the latest episode of this podcast as soon as it comes out each and every day. We're here for you five days a week. All right, before we get to the SEC and punishments for Mizzou and Florida, some scary news yesterday. Um, injuries out of Georgia and Ole Miss. But we'll start with Ole Miss. Yesterday, freshman tight end Demarcus Thomas was injured at practice Monday morning. And Lane Kiffin told the media that Thomas was hit and was not moving and said a helicopter was on the way as he had no feeling in his entire body. Now, an update later in the afternoon from Ole Miss AD Keith Carter he said Thomas had movement in all his extremities and feeling had come back. Assistant AD for Sports Medicine Pat Jernigan said following the injury at practice Monday morning, DeMarcus was taken to an ambu- in an, by an ambulance to the hospital in Oxford and then was airlifted to a hospital in Memphis. And he said he confirmed that uh, DeMarcus had regained all movement in all of his extremities and the physicians were very optimistic moving forward. So some positives there for a really awful situation, but certainly thoughts and prayers with DeMarcus Thomas and his family and everyone there at Ole Miss for a very scary situation. And you could tell, uh, listening to some of the audio from Lane Kiffin, he was very shaken up by the whole situation. Now, over at Georgia, there were reports that came out late Saturday night after Georgia got back in town from their win over Kentucky that their star safety, Richard LeCount, was involved in a dirt bike or motorcycle accident Saturday evening. On Monday, Kirby Smart addressed it, saying LeCount was moved from an ICU room to a regular room at the hospital. He sustained a concussion and a bruise to one of his ribs. Uh, Kirby did say they are non-life-threatening injuries, but Richard LeCount is going to miss at least a couple of weeks before he can return. So, of course, Georgia with a monster game this weekend against Florida and Jacksonville. You, you, they're really going to miss Richard LeCount, and you hope that between him and some of the unju- other injuries they have won't uh, won't spell trouble for Georgia. But you lose a guy like that, that's certainly going to sting for Georgia. All right, the, the big news coming out yesterday, SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey issuing a statement on the Mizzou-Florida game, basically saying there is no place in college football for the incident that took place at halftime of Mizzou and Florida. Everyone involved is responsible for meeting sportsmanship standards throughout the game, running on the field to confront a game official, the gathering of teams in an on-field confrontation, and student-athletes throwing punches are all disappointing at any time, but even more so as we're trying to do this in these COVID times. Florida head coach Dan Mullen was issued a reprimand by the SEC and fined $25,000 for violating SEC bylaws for sportsmanship. Fines were levied against the schools and individuals. Uh, 
directed into a fund supporting the SEC's postgraduate scholarship program. Immediately following the altercation, Florida defensive lineman Zachary Carter and linebacker Antoine Powell were ejected for the rest of that game for fighting, and then Mizzou outside linebacker Trey Williams was ejected for a flagrant unsportsmanlike foul. Uh, those ejections for fighting carry an automatic half-game suspension for their next game, so Carter and Powell will miss the first half of Florida's game against Georgia and Jacksonville. And um, in addition to reviewing the video, SEC, the SEC office issued a half-game suspension for Missouri linebacker Chad Bailey, offensive lineman Dylan Spencer, and defensive lineman Markel uh, Utsi for fighting in the altercation. Each will miss the first half of Missouri's next game, which they have a bye week this week. Their next game is against Georgia on November 14th. So Georgia, kind of the benefactor here of Two guys for Florida are going to be out in the first half of this game against against Georgia, playing Florida. And then the following week, several guys for Missouri will be out the first half against Georgia. So Georgia kind of the beneficiary of all this. I want to get to some audio. Hudson Mason, the former Georgia quarterback, now radio host in Atlanta, was on the Paul Feinbaum show, and he addressed some of this as he was doing uh, – he was on the call of the Missouri-Florida game on Saturday. And the first thing Paul Feinbaum asked him was – his thoughts on Dan Mullen and kind of being the, the instigator of the halftime incident. Yeah, I was watching the ball as Kyle Trask, you know, was talking to Hail Mary at the, uh, at the end of the half there, and all of a sudden, you know, you see a little bit of a, uh, a toss-up there between Missouri's uh, defensive line and, and Florida's offensive line, and, you know, it had to do with uh, that hit on Kyle Trask. I don't think it was dirty. Um, I don't, you know, I do I think it warranted a penalty? Yeah. Do I think it warranted a unsportsmanlike conduct? Maybe even an ejection for targeting? Yeah. But I don't think it was dirty by any means. And uh, But I think when Dan Mullen came on the field it is really when things started to unravel because, uh, you know, his intention from what I saw, uh, Paul, was really never to mitigate the situation. It was really never to calm it down. He came out there and Maybe he originally came out there with the hopes of, of trying to keep his offensive linemen from doing something stupid. Their depth is already paper thin uh, heading into the cocktail party. But when he went out there, he really never went to his players. He went more toward the Missouri coaches. And, and really that kind of poured gasoline on the fire. And, and as a player, you know, you, you, your coach always tells you, hey, if something happens on the field, stay on the sideline. Keep your composure. But if I'm a player and I see Dan Mullen acting the way he did – it almost justifies that I can start acting like that. And so that was really the reason why things got about got so uh, out of hand as they did. A little bit more from Hudson Mason. He was asked about implications of the suspensions. Uh, you know, I think for, from a Georgia standpoint, it's, it's really a lot of fans were just waiting around seeing, okay, how many more missing bodies were going to be out for the Florida game. I mean, Zachary Carter is really the only uh, starter who will miss the first half. Uh, and then really it's just a matter of are the guys in the secondary that missed the game for the Missouri game because of COVID, will they be back uh, in time to play against Georgia? So, you know, I think that was really the, the angle and the perspective Georgia fans were waiting to see today from the league office. Hudson also asked any surprise on the Mullen suspension and the fallout from it. Uh, I expected that. I didn't expect him to be suspended, and I don't think he should have been suspended by any means. They basically fined him the same amount that Lane Kiffin got fined for for a tweet. Uh, you know that was my takeaway. One guy gets fined twenty five thousand for calling out the SEC officiating, and another coach gets fined the same amount for 
you know, kind of uh, being a part of uh, a, of a kerfuffle, of a little bit of a, uh, a mix-up in the middle of the field. I should say the Mullen uh, fining, not so much a suspension. Some, and as Hudson said there, he didn't think a suspension was warranted. Last thing, Hudson Mason, just his thoughts on the Georgia quarterback situation. Everybody in Athens or the state of Georgia, for that matter, very torn right now on the quarterback situation after Stetson Bennett. Not a great performance against Kentucky this past weekend. What do we say? The big bonus from him through the first few weeks of the season was that he wasn't turning the ball over. These last two games, he has turned the ball over a lot. Could, you know, should they give JT Daniels a look? Should they give Dewan Mathis another chance? Here was Hudson Mason, a former Georgia quarterback, on the current Georgia quarterback situation. Because I think that's that's just who they are, Paul. I mean, Todd Munkin, I, I think, is, you know, took this job. And when he took the job, he was expecting to, you know, have a grad transfer quarterback in Jamie Newman, who was dual thread and, you know, could do things totally different than what Stetson Bennett's abilities are. Uh, but I, I think watching that game on Saturday against Kentucky, like if, if there was ever a game where you would have played a backup, you know, if there was ever a, a game where you would have tried to try new things, uh, that would have been the game to me. Uh, and they didn't do that. So, you know, Kirby Smart's basically kind of sending a message that, hey, you know, we are who we are. There's no real surprises to what we're going to do. You know, you just kind of either – come to grips with it if you're a Georgia fan or you kind of just move on because this is what they've got right now and you know clearly JT Daniels or Dewan Mathis isn't ready and not even clearly ready uh, because I think at this point if they were remotely uh, capable of of doing something and moving the ball down the field Kirby Smart would have played one of those guys by now but as you saw Saturday uh, not only with Kirby's rhetoric, but the opportunity in the game after a couple turnovers from Stetson. Stetson's his guy moving forward. That again, former quarterback Hudson Mason on the Paul Feinbaum show. When we return, Dan Matthews, executive producer for the Chuck Oliver Show, longtime SEC reporter. He's going to talk all things SEC with us coming up next. We are past the halfway mark of the SEC football season, and that means it is time we start taking Saturdays a little bit more seriously. Who are the contenders? Who are the pretenders? You need to spend more time on your couch on Saturdays dissecting these games, and the only way to do that correctly while relaxing is with an ice-cold Coors Light in your hand. I tell you guys all the time, every Saturday, that is your me time. Time to park your butt on the couch, watch some football, and drink some Coors Light. It is your excuse to chill and enjoy the mountain cold refreshment. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged, as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. So what are you waiting for? Make sure to stock up ahead of this weekend's games, and if you need to order it to your door, Coors Light has you covered there as well. Just go to get.coorslight.com. They'll ship it right to you. It's as easy as that. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. That is Coors Light. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Roll along here on Locked On SEC and one of our favorite guys to catch up with. It is Georgia, Florida week. And we just got a ton of stuff to get into. We've got the Georgia quarterback situation. We've got Dan Mullen raising hell on the field, getting fined. We've got suspensions in Florida, Mizzou. 
We've got Richard LeCount getting hurt in the hospital. My goodness, so much stuff to dissect. And we do so now with our buddy Dan Matthews, of course, the executive producer from the Chuck Oliver Show, longtime SEC reporter. He's on Twitter at Dan Matthews ATL. Dan, what's going on, man? Oh, man, just another week in the SEC and just the craziness that is the conference. But uh, I guess we wouldn't have it any other way. Um, you know, I'm excited about this weekend and uh, what we get uh, with uh, not only uh, the SEC, but just uh, the game in general, college football. Let, let's start with the hot topic of the last 48 to whatever hours. Uh, of course, we found out yesterday the SEC comes out and, and issues the uh, fining of Dan Mullen. I keep saying suspension. They didn't suspend him. A lot of people feel like they should have because he was kind of the instigator in this whole thing. Uh, if you're a Gator fan, you think it's all justified because he's standing up for Kyle Trask taking a late hit that the refs didn't throw a, f- a flag on. But what do you make of the whole situation? And do you think uh, the $25,000 fine is justified considering that's the same amount Lane Kiffin got for a retweet? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's more of this one should have been a lot more severe. Um, you know, I mean, for exactly the reason that you just mentioned there, I mean, Lane Kiffin, uh, more or less, you know, the, the SEC even said, and of course I'm paraphrasing here, was, yeah, we were wrong, but you're not allowed to say we were wrong. Right. And, that, I mean, that's just, that's just kind of ridiculous. And, of course, now you get uh, the response that Lane had where he's like, all right, hey, then help me find so many pennies to send to Birmingham to pay my fine. Uh, for this one, uh, you know, I mean, I, I saw the footage that I think a lot of people saw of uh, uh, on Twitter, and, and that is uh, where it does look like Dan Mullen is going after their players. And that's one of those that, that – that's a no-no. You don't go after the other team's players. Uh, if he wanted to, you know, take umbrage with, with uh, Eli Drinkwitz, then maybe. I mean, I know that he, he even – uh, took exception to some of their staff who obviously were trying to get their players out of there and, and, and trying to stick up for their guys. And then also, too, the referee there. Uh, but I think also, too, what probably should have garnered as much of, of a more severe penalty is the fact that he came out and, and did the whole firing up the crowd and doing all that. I mean, <laughs> you can fire up the crowd, you know, if you feel like you got screwed on, on a call or, or something like that. You don't fire up the crowd where, you know, you possibly have punches thrown and everything else. That That is kind of your doing. And and I just, I, I you know, I understand the reprimand. I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, the conference looks at it as it doesn't really serve anybody if he's suspended for this game. Um, but I, I do think that probably a little bit more of a, a severe penalty and probably, too, if you're Greg Sankey, it's a good chance to be able to, with that severe penalty, say there are things we're not going to tolerate from our head coaches in this league. We're not going to tolerate you going after an opposing team's players, but we're not going to tolerate you know you instigating a fight. And I just I think that it was really just kind of a, a, an off the mark uh, punishment by the conference that I think they really could have set a tone, and uh, they didn't necessarily do it. I mentioned, Dan, this actually maybe benefits Georgia twofold. One, you know, it means Zachary Carter and, and Antoine Powell, who I don't think Powell has played much this year, but uh, Carter has certainly for Florida. They're going to miss the first half of the Georgia game this weekend. And then the Missouri guys, Mizzou's got their bye week, but their next opponent is Georgia the week later, and they've got a handful of guys who will be suspended for the first half against Georgia. So if anybody benefits from this, I guess Georgia because – 
they they get a couple guys suspended at least for a half on the other side the next two weeks. Yeah, I mean, how funny is that, huh? I mean, for the longest time, you know, remember Steve Spurrier uh, a few years ago saying that's why he likes playing Georgia early on in the season because he could always count on a couple of guys suspended. Well, <laughs> uh, now uh, the good news for Kirby Smart is uh, he gets to uh, see the other side of uh, how that goes. But, uh, no, I mean, you know, it's, it's obviously – uh, for Georgia, they kind of need all the help they can get. I mean, this is a struggling offense right now, uh, but not only is it a struggling offense, this is a defense that is the strength of this football team, but at the same time, though, too, you already know that Richard LeCount is not going to play this week uh, after his accident over the weekend. That's a huge miss for not having him in the back end of your defense to be able to make sure that guys are lined up right, make sure that the call is correct, all these different types of things that LeCount is so good at for this defense, uh, but also, too, for his playmaking ability. I mean, he was uh, an SEC Defensive Player of the Week, so uh, obviously he's somebody that can uh, really uh, make some things happen for you on the field. Uh, Julian Rochester with a, a knee, likely not to go, and uh, also, to uh, Jordan Davis, who's been another huge part of this defense on the defensive line uh, with his elbow. Uh, Kirby Smart saying today they're going to see how the week goes. Uh, but uh, as we found out last week with George Pickens, uh, that uh, being a little dinged up for Kirby Smart doesn't necessarily mean that they're just dealing with the uh, the bruises that everybody else is. Sometimes it can keep you out of a game. So who knows? I mean, maybe they felt good enough about what they had going into Kentucky that uh, they felt like they could give Pickens uh, another week of a rest. Uh, we'll see if that uh, comes to fruition. But uh, this is definitely a football team that uh, is dealing with some injury concerns and at least defensively, that's not what you want to have happen when you're dealing with uh, one of the better passing attacks in the game of uh, Kyle Trask and uh, also uh, Kyle Pitts. Dan, I got to ask you about the, the elephant in the room, uh, Stetson Bennett. We, we just played some audio last segment from Hudson Mason, the former uh, Georgia quarterback who was on the Paul Feinbaum show yesterday, and he brought up the fact that you know he think he believes Kirby believes he's their best option to win, and that's why we haven't seen JT Daniels at all. That's why we haven't seen Dewan Mathis late in some of these games. But I just go back to you know the one selling point on Stetson Bennett early in the season was that he was that great game manager. He didn't make the big mistake. Now what we've seen his last two games against Alabama and Kentucky is you know three turnover, three interceptions against Alabama, two interceptions against Kentucky, and. To combat that, he doesn't even throw a touchdown pass against Kentucky. What is the fan base feeling right now in Stetson Bennett? What's their confidence level? It's a lot of frustration with Kirby. I mean, there's a lot of feeling like he's being very stubborn uh, with uh, how the offense is run. And, you know, it, it's, it's something that, you know, you mentioned last weekend and then obviously the Alabama game that had a lot of people going into the bye thinking, all right, Kirby, this is the time when you can give DeJuan Mathis another shot or maybe even J.T. Daniels. It sounds like J.T. Daniels isn't even a factor right now. I mean, uh, when he was asked about it uh, in his uh, Monday press conference, Kirby Smart uh, said that Daniels is basically working with the scout team. I mean, that that DeJuan Mathis is uh, getting the second-team reps and and getting some of the first-team reps in case they need him to come in. Uh, So there's that. So there's frustration with that. I I think that a frustration with Kirby is, and, and this is also my frustration, is that he doesn't get that the defense doesn't set the tone anymore in this game. Because here's the deal with your defense at Georgia Kirby Smart. You're not good enough to win a, uh, win a title with that defense. Right. That defense is good. It's not great. So the fact that he's saying, you know, well, I mean, it just 
it almost made me pull my hair out last week when he said, well, LSU, yeah, they had that great offense, but, you know, they also had a pretty good defense. It's like, no, that's not <laughs> what it came back to. They had a capable defense by their standards. And if they had, and if they still relied on their defense, guess what? 46 to 41 against Alabama next year or, or last year, that doesn't happen. So Ed Ogeron made a conscious choice when he brought in Joe Brady. I think that Kirby Smart, you know, in fairness to him, he tried to make that conscious choice and bringing in Todd Munkin and I think the pandemic, you no know, spring, all these different types of things. It kind of threw it out the window. But here's the other part of it all with Kirby that I think is the frustration with his quarterback is that I think he goes with the guy that he trusts much more than he goes with somebody that he believes has a, has a higher upside possibly or also, too, can maybe make some things more exciting for your offense to make some things happen. I mean, we saw this with Jake Fromm and Justin Fields. I don't think anybody can fault him at the time for not wanting to move away from Jake Fromm. You had a guy who just came off the season – where he took you within a few plays of winning a national title. Okay, that's fine. But at the same time, though, too, work in Justin Fields. I mean, at least have him have the sensation of feeling like I'm in this thing, and not only am I in this competition, but that I also have an opportunity that if I do show some things on the practice field and I do show some things in the, in the uh, chances that I get in the game, then maybe I'll be able to get some more playing time and maybe even soon enough get the starting job. Take, for example, Chris, Dabo Sweeney has now done it perfect twice. Who would have faulted Dabo Sweeney, Trevor Lawrence's freshman year, had he just held serve and said, no, you know, Kelly Bryant has been great for us. Kelly Bryant took us to uh, the college football playoff the year before. We're 4-0 right now with Kelly Bryant. We're going to stick with Kelly Bryant. Instead, he made the decision where he said, I'm not going to burn Kelly Bryant's eligibility for the rest of the season. I'm going to go ahead and name Trevor Lawrence my starter, and it gives Bryant an opportunity to redshirt the rest of the season and transfer out as a graduate transfer, which he did, and play at at, at Missouri. Now, with DJ Uyangalele, which I said the name right. Very good. Yeah, DJ Uyangalele. I've had a lot of practice over the last few days, as a lot of people have. But you've seen him get snaps this year with Trevor Lawrence. Because they know, even though Lawrence said what he said last week, that it's going to be DJ's show next year. So you need to try to get him ready. So I, I just I think this year-in and year-out approach to the quarterback position is hurting Kirby. And it's going to hurt him even more because he's probably going to get Brock Vandegrift. You better give Brock Vandegrift every opportunity to win the job because if you don't, that's going to be the last really good quarterback uh, prospect that you get for a while. I mean, a team that me and you pay really close attention to, Chris, LSU, had they not gotten Joe uh, Joe Burrow and had he not played the way that he did, I think Ed Ogeron is still in the same issues that uh, Les Miles was in for a while in terms of trying to get the right guy uh, to play the position where now, I mean, he's able to get T.J. Finley. He's able to get Max Johnson to commit to the program and Garrett Nussmeyer to commit to the program. So you at least now have the perception to people that you value the quarterback position, which I'm not saying that Kirby doesn't value it. I just think he treats it like every other position. You can't do that. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, All that said, uh, Kyle Trask has been outstanding this year. Uh, What set an SEC record for most touchdowns thrown through his first four games of the season. Number eight, Florida against number five, Georgia. I understand things could change throughout the week, but where are you leaning right now? I'm leaning Florida with that offense. I mean, we see what happens now in the college game that if you have a plus offense, 
I'm willing to take a chance on you because I do believe, and especially, too, I mean, with the injuries to key players that I just mentioned there, that's not good for Georgia. So I do think that Ford is going to be able to move the ball. Uh, I think that Kyle Pitts, especially with LeCount not being on the field and, and some injuries in the back end, uh, that's going to be a problem for Georgia. And, you know, with throwing the ball 13 times last week and, and, and doing what they did against Kentucky, that's not going to win on Saturday. Georgia's going to have an opportunity if they do what I think that Clemson is going to have thrown their direction by Notre Dame, and that is got to control the football, you can't turn it over, and you've got to really dominate the time of possession battle because I think that's what Georgia's opportunity is going to be in this. They're going to have to try to make this ugly. And this is going to have to, by their attempt, try to be a 17-9 to game, something like that. I just don't think they can do that. I think that Dan Mullen's offense is too good. Uh, I think that if you give them enough opportunities, they are going to be able to put up points. I mean, Kadarius Tony is somebody I don't think gets talked about enough with this Florida offense. So yeah. Uh, we saw the way that they came out and played against Missouri in the second half. I mean, motivated, yes, all those different types of things. But, I mean, my gosh, I mean, what is it, plus four and a half, I believe, right now for Florida? Uh, I, I like that number if, if I'm going to the windows uh, anywhere to, uh, to place down a ticket. Uh, just because, like I said, I mean, I, I, just, I trust their offense a lot more than I trust uh, Georgia's offense and even really their defense, too. I, I just I think this might be the year that Dan Mullen breaks through. All right, last thing for you, Dan, before we let you go. Did Coach Ed Ogeron make a deal with the devil last year? Hey, you will have the greatest season in college football history, win the national championship, win the Heisman, but your program's going to hit rock bottom next year. Is that Was that the deal that was made? Oh, man. I mean, I hope that wasn't part of the deal for uh, Flip the Script. I mean, geez, what a great week for uh, his book to come out, right? <laughs> right. And, and for uh, him to be doing all the press tours and everything like that and the books going out to everybody to read and, uh, you go out and uh, get uh, 48 points put on you by uh, by Auburn. Now, I, I just – there is no doubt now that the Bo Pelini hire was an awful hire. And yeah. I didn't feel good about it at the time. I'm not being an armchair quarterback here because I think like a lot of people, it was, number one, why are you coveting him so much? Right. When it's like – it's nobody is – nobody is, is giving him that number. Chris, he wouldn't have gotten a million dollars to run someone's defense. <laughs> right, the Youngstown State coach. Right, they gave him $2.3 million to run a defense that, number one, was a complete scheme change, and number two, he hadn't done in earnest since 2007. And Chris, me and you followed that team enough with uh, Glenn Dorsey and a lot of other really good, talented players on that defense for LSU that there were even LSU fans back then that said, you know, they're really not getting the most out of this defense that they could. Right. I mean, there were still shortcomings. There were still huge numbers put up against them that season. I mean, the Arkansas game, the Kentucky game. I mean, you just you, you had moments in, in lapses on defense. You were just like, oh, my gosh, with this talent? How is this happening? I, I just I, I think that, and, and I've said this numerous times, and I said it uh, on Monday on the Chuck Oliver Show, he needs to answer for that because he needs to answer why he was so dead set on hiring Bo Pelini, and I'm sorry, but the whole, you know, we're going to wait till the end of the season, you know it's not working. The only thing I can believe at this point is they're saying, we're paying them too much money to cut them halfway through the season. And I just, I think that that's got to be a question at the, that I, I want to know is what, why were you, why did you hold him in such high regard that you felt the need to pay him so much money to get him to your program 
when, I mean, there are numerous other coordinators and position coaches that they could have gone and gotten. I mean, if nothing else, too, why was it the first move to try to find somebody that matched what Dave Aranda did defensively, at least, if nothing else, to, to give them a, a one- or a two-year deal and see what they can do, and then build up trust from there? I mean, I, I just... I'm at a loss of words. The only thing I can believe is that, you know, they felt like, all right, it's a chance for Polini to come back, which I'm not really much for, you know, the, the, the great stories. I mean, I didn't have a lot of great memories of Bo Polini, number one, as an LSU fan. <laughs> uh, but number two, I mean, it's just like, I, I just, I felt like there were so many other people out there that you could have gotten for half of this price. And Chris, I would venture to say you wouldn't even have half the issues they're dealing with right now. I mean, you name it. They, they can't line up correctly. Their pad level in pursuit is awful. They give up the edge. Uh, I mean, you've got too many times where eyes are just in the wrong place. I mean, if I'm seeing that, what do you think opposing coaches are seeing? Yeah, no, it's it's no doubt. It, it has turned out to be an abysmal hire. And, and again, LSU laid a couple people off from their athletic department this past week would be a really bad look if you kick a guy to the curb who's still owed $5 million. He is Dan Matthews, executive producer for the Chuck Oliver Show, longtime SEC reporter. Follow him on Twitter, at DanMatthewsATL. That's one T in Matthews. Dan, always fun to catch up, man. Thanks for the time. Anytime, Chris. You know it. Coming up next, we will hit on the SEC Players of the Week here on Locked on SEC. You're back on the grind this week, whether you're still working from home or you're back at the office, socially distancing, whatever you need to do. No matter where you are, we all have that mid-afternoon crash where we need that pick-me-up. Might I recommend our friends at Built Go. Built Go is the best workout gel on the market. It's like five-hour energy without the same crash feeling. Plus, it is natural, so it is better for your body. It's like drinking a monster energy drink, but with a third of the caffeine and better results. Built Go comes in three delicious flavors. My personal favorite, the chocolate mint. It combines energy gel with protein. It's fast-absorbing, very easy on the stomach. It's got all that scientific stuff that your body needs, B6, B12, all those things you don't really understand. Trust me, it's healthy stuff that's going to get you going so you can finish your workday strong and it's good for your body. Check them out right now, builtgo.com, and make sure when you go there and check out what you want, you use our promo code LOCKED, L-O-C-K-E-D, and you're going to get 20% off your next order. Again, use the promo code LOCKED, L-O-C-K-E-D. You're going to get 20% off your order at builtgo.com. Easy to navigate website. Find everything you need to start getting your work days more productive in those late afternoons, builtgo.com. Let's go. Rolling along here on Locked on SEC, our thanks to Dan Matthews. Always good to talk all things SEC with him. You know, we do this every week around this time. We run through uh, some of the SEC players of the week and people who deserve recognition following the week that was. So let's do it. Let's run through some of the SEC players of the week. We start on offense. Matt Corral, quarterback at Ole Miss, shattered records in leading Ole Miss past Vanderbilt, completing 31 of 34 passes for 412 yards and six touchdowns. His 91.2% completion percentage was an SEC record with a minimum of 30 attempts. 
tying Tennessee's Joshua Dobbs back in 2016. He completed 19 consecutive pass attempts to begin the game. That broke Eli Manning's school record back in 2001. He did it against Murray State. This was at least an SEC opponent in Vandy. The six touchdown passes tied Eli Manning's single-game record that he set on November 3, 2001 against Arkansas, and it's the most touchdowns in regulation as five of Manning's six touchdowns in 2001 came in overtime. The 412 passing yards marked a career high for Matt Corral, his first 400-yard game and fourth 300-yard game of the season, as well as his career. Lane Kiffin has got that kid flinging it around the field. Our Defensive Player of the Week in the SEC is a guy who is going to miss some time. Richard LeCount, safety at Georgia, registered a career-high 13 stops this past weekend against Kentucky, had three pass breakups, and recovered a fumble in Bulldog territory in Georgia's 14-3 win over Kentucky. He anchored a defensive backfield that held the Wildcats to just 91 yards passing and held them scoreless in the second half. Again, our thoughts and prayers go out to Richard, who was in a dirt bike accident in uh, Georgia on Saturday night. He is doing okay in the hospital, but uh, it's going to take him a couple weeks to recover with a concussion and bruised ribs. So, big loss for the Georgia Bulldogs on defense, but we still celebrate him as the SEC Defensive Player of the Week. On special teams, Georgia's punter, Jay Camarda, pair of punts, averaged 47.5 yards with no touchbacks or return yards during their win over Kentucky. Dropped one of the punts at the UK 7-yard line while Georgia was up 7-0 and another one at the 10 in the fourth quarter with the Bulldogs up 11. So congrats to Georgia punter Jake Camarda. SEC Freshman of the Week, it's Alabama defensive back Malachi Moore. Freshman defensive back helped the Tide record their first shutout of the season. Made a team-high eight tackles with three solo stops with one tackle for a loss. He added two pass breakups as the Alabama secondary allowed only 163 passing yards and a 78.5 passer rating. Helped the Tide limit the Bulldogs to 200 total yards, including just 37 rushing yards. So shout out to Malachi Moore having a fantastic freshman year at defensive back for Alabama. Your offensive lineman of the week in the conference is Carson Green, tackle for Texas A&M. He's their right tackle. He's their team leader, and he helped keep Kellen Mond upright for the fourth straight game. Do you realize the Aggie offensive line has not given up a sack in a month? Kellen Mond was sacked twice in their season opener against Vandy. He hasn't been sacked again since. The Aggie offensive line cleared the way this past weekend for 182 net yards. The O-line protected on 26 pass attempts for Kellen Mond and uh, goes back 146 pass attempts to the last quarterback sack. Mighty impressive. Your defensive lineman of the week in the SEC was Derek Hall from Auburn. Four tackles, two tackles for a loss, two sacks, and a forced fumble in Auburn's 48-11 romping over defending national champion LSU. Derek Hall's forced fumble in the second quarter led to a scoop and score that gave Auburn a 14-0 lead, and he was part of an Auburn defense that held LSU to just 11 points and 32 yards rushing. It's lowest output in both categories in two years. The 32 rushing yards by LSU were the fewest by an SEC opponent since Arkansas in 2016, and Derek Hall's tackle for a loss and sack totals were career best for him, so congrats to him, your defensive lineman of the week in the SEC. So... Congrats to everybody all around. A few updates real quick. Some TV times announced for next week in the conference. The SEC office on Monday announced the start times and TV networks for next weekend's game. That's going to be the eighth weekend of SEC play. Uh, The traditional SEC network triple header will uh, feature Vanderbilt at Kentucky in the first game of the day. 
then Auburn and Mississippi State in the afternoon, and South Carolina and Ole Miss in prime time. The SEC on CBS game will be Alabama at LSU. The best part about next weekend, not this weekend, but next weekend, all 14 teams in action. So, yeah, we get a bunch of bye weeks this week. We only have four games in the conference, but next week, all 14 teams in action. And here's how it shapes up. At noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, it'll be Georgia at Mizzou on ESPN. Also at noon Eastern, you will have Vandy at Kentucky on the SEC Network. In the afternoon, Texas A&M will make their trip to Tennessee. 3.30 Eastern kick on ESPN. At 4 o'clock Eastern, Auburn at Mississippi State will be on the SEC Network. And then in the evening, of course, we get Alabama at LSU, 6 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Central on CBS following the Masters coverage. Arkansas will be at Florida. This one is one a lot of Arkansas fans are excited about. 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central on ESPN. And then the nightcap on the SEC Network, South Carolina at Ole Miss, 7.30 Eastern, 6.30 Central, like I said, on SEC Network. So it's going to be a hell of a weekend for the SEC a week from Saturday as we get all 14 teams in action. No reason to leave your couch, so really excited for for that. Looking forward to that. That is just about going to do it for this edition of Locked on SEC. I'm Chris Gordy. Remember to subscribe if you haven't done so yet. We are here for you five days a week. Got a lot more we got to get into throughout this week. Today it felt like all injury talk and suspensions and fines and all that. We're going to get into actually previewing some of the games throughout this week, including the big one, the de facto SEC East Championship between Georgia and Florida. Some special guests along the way to dissect that. My thanks to Dan Matthews for joining us. We will talk to you guys tomorrow. They're unlocked on SEC.